0: This is the Road to Russia 2018 podcast. We are less than two weeks away from the 2018 FIFA World Cup Russia. And we're right in the mix in terms of our research, our preparation, so we can bring you top-notch coverage over all platforms here at TSN and CTV. Gareth Wheeler, Andy Petrillo with you at Wheeler TSN. At Andy Petrillo? Did I, did I get that right?
1: Yeah, I think I I never just...
0: know if there's an underscore, a dash, a number...
1: No, well, Twitter is at Andy Petrillo, and I believe my Instagram is at Andy Petrillo33. Hold on, why 33?
0: Well, 33,
1: so three is my number. Like, uh-huh. when I played soccer, too, I wore three because of Paolo Maldini. Nice. Then I love 33 because of Scottie Pippen. Loved him with the Bulls. So I've always kind of held on to that number, but I had to add the 33 to the end of my name on Instagram because somebody created an Instagram account, Andy Petrillo, posing to be me. They never... They never posted anything that was offside, but I just remember people coming up. This would have been in 2014, 2015. People I work with say, oh, I saw that photo you posted and I liked it. I'm like, what are you talking about? So anytime I had posted a photo on Twitter, because at the time I had just had Twitter, this person was grabbing them off my Twitter account and then posting them on this Instagram account as Who if they were me. are these people? I have no clue. <laughs> so I had to create an Instagram account just out of necessity because like, these people think it's me and then of course I now enjoy Instagram I'm not going to lie so I'm I'm part of it but that's why there's the 33 at the end of my name in Instagram because someone actually took my name already on Instagram That's
0: creepy and weird. Like you are popular you are Canadian famous. Let's call you Canadian oh, yeah. famous. I'm a Z list celebrity. No, my no, friend, no. in Canada, you are like <laughs> right up there, Andy. But like, I'm just talking about there's the Kardashians of the world, the royal family. <laughs>
1: yeah, when is. Um, Tom Cruise. When is Trudeau calling me to discuss some sort of reform or something? Because we know Kim Kardashian already got in there with is Donald that Trump. <laughs> it was just. I thought James Duthie had the best tweet. When he's like, imagine you were in a coma for the last three years, and this is the first tweet... You wake up to, and it's Donald Trump tweeting out how he met with Kim Kardashian about like prison reform, right? And everyone's like, "Yeah, I think we'd all go back into the coma." So we're going to so wait weird. for
0: Andy Petrillo at, on Parliament Hill yeah. with JT, yeah, uh, speaking to health care reform. Something, else. Yeah. That, that work? Why
1: not? Yeah, I know municipal about municipal affairs. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Something along oh, that line. Run
1: for cover if that's um, the case. We're,
0: we're less than two weeks away. Andy Petrillo, over the course of the tournament, is going to be manning the desk for the recap. Show show each -hmm. and every day. Honestly, like I am digging deep now in terms of the research, the preparation. There's friendlies going on. It's a very busy time. You're balancing it with Lee's Lunch right now. I'm balancing it with a variety of other coverage. Next Mm -hmm. week, I'm taking off. It's just World Cup, Andy.
1: You have to at some point. It was really funny. I was trying to do some of my World Cup research. This would have been during the conference finals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I'm like, I'll have the game on while I'm doing my research. Impossible. I did not see a second of the hockey game. You can't multi... You 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 can't. Yeah, you can't. And I mean, I I thought I was like the master multitasker, and I just realized, not in this particular case, you just cannot. So I just have to focus on World Cup, which is essentially what I'm doing, which is nice that it's the Stanley Cup final now, so it's games every other day or a game every two days. So now you can really focus on it. But can we get to the big news? So all eyes were on the Champions League final on Saturday.
0: Yeah, we have to start here. We have
1: to start. And everyone, of course, is holding their breath, right? You don't want... And you want to get injured. And what ends up happening?
0: We've talked about that on the podcast. What do we say? Like, you're going to be holding your breath if you are, because multiple players from both Liverpool and Real Madrid are going to the World Cup, and Mm -hmm. we said, that's the last thing you want to see, a player come up with a knock or an injury. And what
1: happens? The biggest name, not just heading into the one of the biggest names heading into World Cup, but like was the biggest name in the Premier League, which is the biggest name ever, and that was Mo Salah, Given the breakout season that he had representing Egypt,
0: he would have been uh, after Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. You can make the argument that Mosala was the next player yeah. that's kind of risen to that level where. You need to watch anything that he does at this com- at, th- at this upcoming summer's tournament, Would you right? have
1: found him far more interesting to watch than Neymar, having said that? Like would you uh, think like, "Ooh, Mo Salah, okay, I got to watch him more based so." Based
0: upon his form, because mm-hmm. Neymar, the question's still being about like how fit is he going to be? He's on yeah. a very good team, but Salah's coming off arguably the top season in European football this year. Yeah. That's why.
1: 32 goals, 36 games. I mean, it Player was Player of the Year. Player of the Year. Uh, it was funny because, you know, speaking of doing research, it was, um, you know, back in 2013 when he was playing, and, you know, some of his coaches at that time were saying, oh, you know, he has potential. If only he could score. He has it. If only he could finish. And Mosala was quoted as saying, well, hopefully five years from now, things will be, you know, completely different, mm-hmm. and I'll be scoring. and uh, Yeah. But, like, right on the dot five years Excuse from now, full right? Marks
0: Even when Liverpool... Purchased him from Roma last uh, last summer. I-, I was still hesitant to think that it was a good move. Yep. And just the way that he played, there were shades at times of Lionel Messi. Like the body control, the ability to finish in tight spaces. He did it all. And in that Champions League final, you can make the argument that the game turned when he left the match. Now, Sergio uh, Ramos, I-, I love him. He's a proper defender. Not always the cleanest player, but... He's he's like a throwback in an era where I think like a lot of the football's gone soft. A professional foul, he's not going to let Mo Salah squirm away from him. And no. and like so many Premier League defenders took the bait this year, ends up taking the player down, separates, injures his shoulder, and now the main question is being left the game in tears, and the question has been begging since is whether he's going to be able to play. And according to most recent reports this week, they believe it's a three-week injury to heal, and that will put him in line. Maybe it's going to be a little bit touch-and-go to play in Egypt's first match against Uruguay, but he will be going to Russia 2018.
1: And so let's, I mean, there's there's many ways we can go with this. Number one, I think this is pretty crushing for the player, because this is what you work so hard for is to, you know, the World Cup. It's the grandest stage for soccer players. As grand as these other events are, you know, the Champions League, we get it, right? right. UEFA. I we Euro Cup even but World Cup is absolutely massive and especially you know for Egypt what is this their first time qualifying and years um, like 28 years yeah. or something like yeah. that like so this is a really big deal um, to be going to the World Cup so it's crushing for the player and I know you know you saw him in tears I think a lot of that had more to do with the fact that he he's thinking oh my goodness I'm probably not going to the World Cup more so than it had to do with pain. Uh, and we can even get into um it was a Danny um Carvajal as well right
0: yeah Carvajal loved that di- match as so well.
1: you know he's in tears as well because i think it has more to do with the the whole like your 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 brain starts to race and it gets ahead of you right so i think those were that those tears come from so it's it's pretty crushing for the player given the year that he's had this is his moment this was really him and um, it looks
0: like covereyal is going to be okay to go as the ham well.
1: yeah so he had the hamstring injury cuz here's but this the
0: thing. is the pinnacle like and, and, like yeah. playing for your club team is what like european uh, champions league final whatever but World Cup every four years representing a nation of people. Like, th- th- this is something yeah. on another level.
1: International, right? Mo Salah is a name in the soccer community, but is he uh, really a household name with casual fans? This would have been his moment. Like this, or this is his moment. We're not counting him he out. He has
0: become a legitimate hero in Egypt. Like, yeah. he is the most famous individual in that country right now.
1: So let me say this. I think we know it's devastating for the player, but again, not ruled out. Crushing for the team. He's our superstar. But can we discuss, and I'm going to say, this crazy person, a lawyer in Egypt, mm-hmm. who has issued a complaint to FIFA and is suing for one billion pounds, Sergio Ramos. He's yeah. suing him because he's claiming he intentionally hurt Mo Salah. Can we also talk about this petition I received through an email of people looking to get signatures to ban Sergio Ramos from the World Cup. Did you get an email with People... It? So, I'm like... <laughs> it's this, like, change... The
0: Liverpool Echo, okay, the newspaper put out... They, they want Ramos to have supplementary discipline, basically. Have punishment after the fact. I'm like, have we lost the plot when it comes to sport? There's no chance that Ramos intentionally meant to to separate or, or whatever the shoulder of Mo Salah. That's the play that happens in the game when you watch the clip and... TSN's Robin Black broke it down like an MMA takedown. Nice. But Salah's arm is up in between Sergio Ramos's arm to begin with. And then Ramos kind of locks him. They go to the ground. There's no way there was intent. Was it an intentional foul? Absolutely. But <laughs> that's different than intent to injure and when a lawyer puts out something like that andy it's about headlines right like it's about attention seeking at its worst
1: and to me it's just like this is where you really use the term like these these are your problems like these are your problems right now (laughs) like given what's going on in the world this is your problem this is where you're going to divert all your energies to try and get a guy not to play in the world cup but this is this is where the emotions run high this is where you know soccer fans get the bad rap like this is just it's ridiculous i think the um the hypersensitivity to it look can sergio ramos is he and, and i've heard this term used when describing him is he the master of the dark arts like does he know how to throw an elbow and kind of make it look like he's falling we saw it in the game with loris Carries against the uh the goalkeeper like there's no doubt Sergio Ramos has mastered how to do he's stuff. He's done it
0: over the years. Countless games. He's a player that you love to hate when he's not on your side, but a player that you'd love to have in your team.
1: Exactly. You Ex- know? Uh, 100%. He's but a I winner. Just... He's a winner, Andy. And you can't win because no matter what side you're on, Like if you remember 2014 when Luis Suarez... Um, Bit and why am I forgetting the Italian player's name? It was a Giorgio Cellini. Yeah, was Chiellini. it? Yeah. So he ends up he ends up biting him, and I mean, you want to talk about egregious? You want to talk about intent? But then you have all of Uruguay going, "This, you're you're against us. Uh, that that didn't happen on purpose." There's to me, it's like you're, it's just so ramped it's blind up with faith, emotion. Right? Whether and the, the, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is whether you can prove intent or not, you're always going to have this argument. It's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. It's just yeah. ridiculous. Just stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. What's
0: funny is that if the group A and group B play out like some expect, then Spain can play Egypt in a knockout round match in this tournament. Ramos, Salah, part two. But I think both players, If, if I think it would be much more of a spectacle supporter versus supporter rather than player versus player. Oh. I think that they're very well aware that this is part of the match, right? part of the game. But what Listen, a, a storyline that would be, right? Oh, God. That, I mean,
1: Killini himself even came out afterwards and was like, don't worry, bud. It's all, even though he had like a chunk of his shoulder taken out, right? But like, even then, he was like, don't worry about it. The players are going to get over it. The yeah. players are going to be. They get it. They get it. And they're, you know, so I'm pretty sure Mo Salah and Sergio Ramos are going to be fine. Let's not be moronic as fans right. when the time comes I, if I, and when they meet.
0: I'd feel like much more if I was an Egyptian supporter. Or a Salah fan. I'd feel much more worried if it was like a leg or a foot or a knee or mm. something like that. Shoulder, of course, is critical for the way your body moves. But mm-hmm. I, I think that that's more proceed with caution rather than I can't go. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I mean, I would have heavily favored Uruguay in that first game against Egypt. If Egypt wants to come out of that group, they need to win their two matches after that, which gives Salah more time to heal. And those are games against Russia, who lost another friendly. They've mm-hmm. winless in their last six. And Saudi Arabia, two teams that they can beat in a very soft group. So never mind, this is the importance, right, of the order of your matches. So mm-hmm, Uruguay, you're not mm-hmm. expecting much. You, you, you play good defensive football, and there are some very strong defensive players in this Egy, uh, Egyptian side. And then have Salah back to provide the requisite goal-scoring ability that you'll need against two, in my opinion, inferior, inferior teams.
1: Valid points, uh, really valid points. And also in that game, as we mentioned, it was Danny Carvayal who also went down. For Real Madrid, his was a hamstring. If you're talking Mm. about like lower body versus upper body, so his was a hamstring. But he he seems pretty confident that he'll be back uh, in time. They're kind of telling him that'll be a a three week process for him. And he just your heart breaks for him as well because you know he was supposed to be a part of that Spanish team in you know Euro 2016, but had to pull out because of injury. Right. So missed out on being able to represent his nation there, even though he's done so already at the. at the youth stage, like this is his moment, right? For the senior level and the senior team. So you can understand those tears, but he's, he's hell bent on trying to make it back in time. So this, I mean, what can you do? Like you can't, you can't say don't play such critical games uh, in a world cup year, or maybe you do, but you have to have X amount of uh, break in between. We have this conversation all the time, even heading into the Olympics. I mean, if you remember even heading into these uh, 2018 winter games, so Georgia Simmerling, a Canadian athlete who is exceptional. She was in ski cross. She was like, she was the highest ranked Canadian mm-hmm. on the ski cross World Cup circuit. Um, was coming off a bronze medal in cycling in Rio 2016. So was looking to join, you know, that club of athletes who can win medals at both the Summer and Winter Olympics. The weekend before they're supposed to leave for Korea, there's a World Cup race. She breaks not one but both of her legs. Wow. So everyone's like, well, should they have had that World Cup race? I'm like, but this – I don't know what to say. Like, this is just sport. This is just what happens. It's just the timing of it that really stinks.
0: Right. And with Carvayal, if if I – am the Spanish side – and teams can change their 23-man squad up until June 4th. The thing is, you have a 23-man squad. He's not a player that m- may not be able to start the tournament for you, but he can finish the tournament for mm-hmm. you. And whether it's Nacho Monreal or another player, they've other – individuals that can step into that role. But if it looks grim, if this doesn't look like a three-week injury, it looks like a six-week injury, you have to make that call by June 4th.
1: Dude, can I tell you, have you so, ever pulled your hamstring?
0: It's, it's awful. I pull- and the oh. problem is you never know the timeline no. and how long it's
1: going to take. I pulled my hamstring so badly one time when I was in track and field. Stupid warm-up, went, raced, right. and then just pulled it. I couldn't even sit down like i couldn't even sit on the toilet like you don't realize (laughs) what you use your hamstring for when you're like oh so i need my hamstring when i do this and when i do that and you're like this is horrible Do you know what the
0: worst is when you sneeze and do your hamstring (laughs) like seriously like you you, you're like i can't sneeze i can't sneeze i need to hold it in because you feel it all the way down your lower back into your hammy it
1: is incredible like you know obviously the body's connected but you're like oh it's that connected. <laughs> like, even when I do that, you're like, that's just weird. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I feel for him because hamstrings, those are tricky. Very, no, very tricky.
0: No kidding. So two massive injuries. Uh, Granite Jacka looks like the Swiss international midfielder um, is carrying an injury as well. His World Cup, a little bit in doubt as well um, as... He picked up an injury in training, so another very important player for Switzerland who's coming off, quite frankly, a miserable year with Arsenal. Uh, This is breaking news. Did that in uh, training, so Mm. we'll have to see on that. So we're going to go through some of the... We we touched on it last week. John Conway was with us as well. Uh, We touched on a few of the groups we'll go in a little bit more detail our thoughts about how these groups may shake down our thoughts in some of the squads as road to russia 2018 rolls on wheeler and petrillo with you right here across the tsn radio network you're listening to the road to russia 2018 podcast road to russia 2018 rolls on wheeler and petrillo with you before we move on to the World Cup group, some of our thoughts on the squads, we need to address what happened on Thursday, Andy, with Zinedine Zidane, uh, the French legend, the manager of Real Madrid, who just came off winning that aforementioned Champions League, his third in a row, which is just incredible that this day and age that a team can roll off three Champions League wins in a row. just It's just wild. Steps away, steps out of his role at Real Madrid, um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm just looking at it. The previous eras of Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, where managers would be at a club for 20-some-odd years and find ways to win year after year, just shows you how difficult it is, not only for the balance of professional and personal, maintaining and dealing with the pressures of success, and finding mm-hmm. new ways to reinvigorate your squad. Zidane said like he just didn't think the team could build or move on and and continue achieving if he stayed there. I'm not sure if that's the case, but Hmm. you're married to a coach. Hmm. Like, you would understand the type of commitment at the top, top level it takes uh, to remain on your game.
1: Especially when you're successful. Because there's that good old saying, too, like, or you know the key to success um, is to be is to ma- is to remain hungry even when you're full. Right. And I feel like that is the job of the coach. So the manager. Okay, I'm speaking in hockey terms here. I'm speaking of GM, right? But you have a lot of people um, who are involved with getting the players, right? So you can almost argue: Did Zinedine Zidane really bring in these players, right? And who are these guys? Well, he's going to have a
0: say. He's going to have influence. And
1: that's what I mean. So he'll have a say, have an influence. But at the end of the day, his job is to manage these personalities. That's really what it boils down to. So when players get to this stage, they know how to play the game. It's not like you're teaching them how to play. I'm not saying you still don't coach and come up with certain tactics and have your drills. But at the end of the day, you're really just managing. And a lot of times, it's managing the personalities and the superstars. And we could go through them all. On Real Madrid and Mm -hmm. how do you keep them engaged and that to me is an art that is a skill all into itself and I do think that it helps um, by default just who he is and what he accomplished as a player so right away you've earned that respect and right away you've earned the ear sometimes players just be like, well, I don't know, like who's this guy and what have you done? And even though he might have been a successful manager elsewhere, you're like nah, okay, but this was a successful
0: and, and, player. And, and people people question whether he'd have the tactical wherewithal um to apply it to a group. And it's one thing, obviously, Real Madrid has a ridiculous spoil of riches mm-hmm. in terms of talent, but making sure they can all play together and win. I mean, and, and that's what he's done magnificently well in this run to the Champions League. He beat, I. I You beat Bayern Munich, you beat Liverpool. They had a very difficult run. PSG, like, they beat some of the biggest club football teams in the world this time around. And that's to go back to back. I just, I think it's incredible. And the reason why this relates to the World Cup, Zidane doesn't need money. And (laughs) when
1: can my name be used in that sentence as well? Andy Patrillo doesn't need money.
0: He is ridiculously rich. Like <laughs> I want that to be said he, about me. I, I believe he was part of the group that helped Qatar win the World Cup just by the influence mm-hmm. of Zidane. Um, so whether it's in a brown paper envelope or through legitimate ways, he's made a lot of money. That's a podcast for another day. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can see a scenario where he says, okay, the demands of club football, I don't want to deal with that at this point. I'm curious to see whether he could be the heir apparent of Didier Deschamps with France. Because if it doesn't work out for this French team, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be a natural transition that makes a whole lot of sense for both the French national French Federation as well as Zinedine Zidane?
1: Well, what I just said right out of the gate was it doesn't matter who put Real Madrid together. You needed a manager to manage those personalities, those egos, and Zidane did it brilliantly. Yeah. What have we been saying about France? The superstars, the egos, who's the leader on that team? Can Didier Deschamps manage that? And Zidane's already proven that he could do it. And if it doesn't go well for Deschamps here, I can only imagine that Zidane would be the most
0: logical choice, if that were to be the case, to replace him. The national team manager, it's such a sweet gig if you can get it. But you miss the day-to-day, hands-on development of a club system when you get your players for a week here two weeks there you got to make the most of it and i think for very good young french players coming through and it is it is incredible how they continue to develop top very young talent through mm-hmm. um through the french academy system um he just seems to be the guy that could maybe help get the most out of this young group because we're still I think that a lot of people are on the fence about how this French side's going to do at this World Cup
1: yeah and it makes sense because like I said I feel he, you just he demands respect immediately simply because he played mm-hmm. he won as a player he won the biggest of biggest trophies as a player then he goes into management it's pretty seamless and he wins there too So how do you just not demand respect right out of the gate just by his name? You just hear Zinedine Zidane and you want to stand at attention. I can't imagine if you're a player on the French side coming on in thinking you're bigger than him. You're just not. You are not. Like, he is an icon in France, in French football. Like, to me, that's where it just becomes a little comical. If you try to pull the superstar status with Zidane, it's like, no, you're not, bud. That would be like a player trying to pull a superstar status with Wayne Gretzky. Like, you can't do that. Like, at some point, you need to simmer
0: down. I, I, I love being our age now because now we get to see the transition from the great player into the great manager, right? And, mm-hmm. and and whether it's Antonio Conte and what he's doing, Simeone with Atletico, and now you see Frank Lampard take a job with Derby County, Stephen Girard with Rangers. So these are players that... It doesn't in recent, always translate, in recent but... vintage. Yeah, and who knows if... And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they'll all be success, but it, it's kind of funny we see these top, top players play... In our adult years, and now they're moving on. What are you trying to say? We're getting old. Thanks. Yeah, That's,
1: <laughs> I'm wondering where you're going with that. That's all.
0: That's all. Thanks um, for the
1: reminder. No
0: problem, buddy. Uh, <laughs> let's go go through some of the groups. And we touched on some last week, so mm-hmm. we'll we'll just kind of do a very superficial scan of some of the groups and go deeper into ones that we haven't addressed. Yeah. And we'll start off with group A. We, I mean, we talked most Salo as well. We haven't really talked a whole lot about Uruguay as well, because... Mm-hmm. It's funny when you're chatting with your friends, you're chatting with other people that are very excited about the World Cup. Uruguay is a team that a lot of people are thinking can be a team that maybe aren't getting a whole lot of headlines now, but can maybe do some damage in this tournament. Would you agree with that?
1: Uh, I mean, to me, the the squad obviously looks good, and anytime you know you have a squad with Luis Suarez and Asenkovani, I mean, how do you not think that this is going to be a pretty strong team? Um, it was really strange, though. It's hard to judge the team based on you know what they did even at the 2014 World Cup because that was just a weird group, right, between Italy, Costa Rica, England. And, England. and it was like the, the two teams that came out of it were not the ones that we expected, which was Uruguay and Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, you would have thought it would have been Italy and England. So I think they did gain a lot of confidence from that. Uh, obviously, it was disappointing what happened. You know, as we mentioned with Luis Suarez, and ended up you know with the suspension there, and that I feel really did hurt his team uh, moving forward. But and again, they were the
0: great heel at the 2010 World Cup again with Suarez saving the pen, uh, saving the the shot off the line against Ghana, and then going on to, to he's like, I'll take that penalty any The day. Black Star, like yeah, yeah, it's 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 their team that are frustrating. They do the little things right. I I just love their two center backs and that's why I think that they have a decent chance in Jimenez and Godin. These are two very Mm. savvy center backs. You have the players that are world-class goal scorers up top in Cavani and Suarez. When you have that kind of combination, when you have that strong spine and balance at both the front and the back, I think that it gives you a chance to win some games and do some na- uh, do some damage at this tournament. Yep, it they will... they finished second in South American qualifying.
1: Behind Brazil, Oscar yeah.
0: Tabarez has been there, their manager, for quite some time. I think you know their system, know the way that they're going to play. Uh, they're a team that I, I'm, I'm not sure how far they can go, but I think they're a team that you wouldn't want to sleep on in this tournament. And it's very difficult because they're going to come out of Group A. When you play Group B, you're you're looking at Spain or Portugal in that next knockout round matchup. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of if you're Spain or Portugal, you want to avoid that knockout round first round matchup against the Uruguay.
1: Yeah, and that was a group, you know, just to quickly go over. I did have Uruguay and I had Russia moving on, mm-hmm. but I did have a question mark next to Egypt because I thought Mosala could that be the difference maker and challenge Russia, which this could be. Now obviously the next FIFA rankings again how much you put into that. Um, but the next FIFA rankings, I believe, come out June 7th. Right now, they're ranked. Russia is 66th in the world. I think Saudi Arabia is still below them. But if that changes, they could, it could be the first time ever that a host nation is going in as the lowest ranked team. And they could possibly face being the first host nation since uh, South Africa, Africa in 2010 to not make it out of the group stage. So Russia, to me, is by no means a lock. And you just mentioned even again on the friendly. Like,
0: how they're unable to win. They lost to Austria, who was an absolute mess in European qualifying. And I know that you're not playing all of your players and you're you're making sure that you're finding different balances in the squad. It's not a finished product. But they've lost all three matches in 2018 and they're without a win in six games. And I just feel the fact that the host nation doesn't have to go through a qualification campaign. You kind of don't know what they're going to be like mm-hmm. in big matches. And I thought they played okay in the Confederations Cup last year. But again, it's a Confederations Cup. Yeah. So uh, I have a massive question mark around Russia. Sometimes nations are galvanized by the fact they're hosting it. And it's all, uh, the tournament's mm-hmm. always better when the host nation does well. Mm-hmm. But this is a country that just has failed to develop Top, top class players, despite spending incredible sums of money. They've dealt with injuries in their side. And I'd, if Mo Salah was healthy, Andy Petrillo, I, mm-hmm. I, I just I would put Egypt ahead of them.
1: And that's why I had the question mark there with Egypt now, just obviously with Mo Salah. But, you know, right now I do have your great Russia going through yep. uh, with Egypt really kind of nipping at their heels. Group B, I think we all agreed it was
0: Spain, Portugal. I can't, you, you can't see it go any other way. No, the, the, it's just a matter of who you believe is going to win that group.
1: Yeah, uh, like
0: that—that's that—that's what it comes down to. And again, it's just to avoid Uruguay. Like, if you're Spain or Portugal, you want in that second round to be playing either Egypt or Russia or mm-hmm. somehow, some way, Saudi Arabia finds a way, pulls a Costa Rica, out, like which I, I, I simply can't see it.
1: No, and I thought you know John brought up a good point last week when we did the podcast too, and he was like, well, listen, you know. They could still give them a challenge as far as, you know, when he was even discussing Morocco because they did not concede a goal yep. uh, during qualification in their six matches. Now you look at the teams they were taking on and you can be like, eh, obviously it's not the firepower that Spain and Portugal will present. But, you know, the stranger things have also happened at the World Cup. So I think that, you know, when you're going up against teams like Morocco or Iran, I think they can pose a bit of a challenge defensively. But I just think Spain and Portugal are way too powerful and we'll definitely find, and too experienced, right. and we'll just find a way around that. I mean, isn't Spain now like on an 18-game unbeaten streak, like their national team?
0: They've they played incredible. And it's just
1: like ridiculous now. Yes.
0: Um, and I like the form of their players. Obviously, Spanish football have dominated the club at the club level in terms of Champions League, League and Europa Leagues in the last five years. I believe the only outside of that na- of the nation of Spain to go on and win uh, a significant cup in European football is Manchester United winning the Euro- mm. Europa League what was that, last year? Mm. So um, I, I again, the order of the matches Portugal plays Morocco in that second game uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on both Spain to beat Iran by a considerable margin and Portugal to take care of business against Morocco in that second game. Because I can see in the it's going to be the second match day of the tournament. Portugal-Spain, I can see that match ending in a draw. So it's going to all mm-hmm. depend upon how they fare against those other teams. Yeah,
1: And then Group C, I think we, I mean, I have France-Denmark moving through over Australia
0: and Peru. I don't rate Australia. Now, Guerrero's going to be allowed to play. This is some also some breaking news. The Swiss tribunal, the Swiss
1: courts... It's way too many courts.
0: Uh, it, now, it, they haven't rescinded the ban, but they're just allowing him to play. So we may inevitably have to miss 14 months of football, but it will come after the World Cup.
1: Yeah. So, so that could move Peru ahead of Australia, but I just, I don't know if I'm putting them in the top two to move through in that group. I'm not. Yeah.
0: I'm not. I think there's enough in the Denmark side mm-hmm. to see them through.
1: Uh, group D, um, you know, obviously I know it was a tough qualification for them. It's been, you know, tough Copa Americas for them, but I do see Argentina. Um, you know, being pretty strong in that group. I I don't know. I feel like stranger things could happen. I I still have that. I'm not completely confident, but I I still feel like I would be a fool if I bet against Argentina. I do right now have Croatia as the second team moving through. You just look at the experience on that team, and it's also just pretty ridiculous. Um, But then again, I just said, when you're a team that's playing with, you know, there's nothing to lose. You're constantly considered the underdog, and I'm referring to Iceland here. You know, we saw what they did at Euro 2016 in defeating England in the round of 16. And then, of course, you know, qualifying for the World Cup for the first time ever. This small nation. I mean, what is what is their population? Like 300,000?
0: It's Vaughan, Ontario. It is.
1: It's where it's my hometown. It is Vaughan, Ontario. That yeah. That is the population. And they have fielded this pretty strong team. And I still think that when you have nothing to lose, I can't imagine how you're going to be playing with this. You know, and I mean it in a good way. I don't mean reckless out on the pitch, but I mean like this reckless abandon. Like you're just, you're free. So I just, I don't know. I feel like Iceland can, can just be this like, you know, out of left field team for me.
0: Okay. This is what, this is what I'll say. Nigeria play England this Saturday in a friendly. I, I didn't watch enough of Nigeria during qualifying, but I know that Nigeria seemingly in every World Cup ends up playing Argentina. These two countries, are very, I've watched them and said that like every time they play, I think it's like five of the last six tournaments they've played one another. Mm-hmm. This Nigerian team is very solid. They're experienced in the middle. They have pace up front. Might be a little bit of a nightmare at the back. Is that enough to get past Argentina? I think Croatia is going to go on to win this group. I, I love the structure of this Croatian team. I think they're solid defensively. I thought the coaching change did them did a whole lot of good. If this very good generation of Croatian footballers are going to do any damage, it's going to be at this World Cup. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to th- say Croatia's going to win the group. My hero pick will be that Argentina gets eliminated, if I see enough from Nigeria in the build-up to this tournament. You think they're getting eliminated group stage? I, I think that Argentina... <sighs> is vulnerable here in this group. It's mm. a compelling group because Nigeria plays a different style from Iceland who play a different style from Croatia. Four very different teams in this group. Yeah. And I think based upon the matchups, if Nigeria can find up front through Iannaccio, through Iwobi, um having Victor Moses... A uh, very experienced captain in John O.B. McHale sitting in the midfield. I think there's enough in this team. Again, I, I'm I'm not completely committing because I want to see how they look in the build-up to this tournament because I, I haven't seen enough of them. But I think it's a team that's been competitive for years and could pull off an upset in this group.
1: Yep, and we've said it before. Uh, there were still question marks with uh, Mauro Icardi being left off and just that goal-scoring power. Especially given that you know Higuain hasn't scored in the last that, two years, I just
0: don't think they can defend worth a lick. Well, I and just, now their goalkeepers I, out. Exactly.
1: Right. So you have uh, Sergio Romero who has, needs to have right knee surgery. So your number one keeper isn't in there. Uh, group E. I don't think we really discussed last let, let, week.
0: Let, let's take a quick break. And That's then we'll a teaser. Go, that was my way of teasing. That was a good tease. We'll okay. go through Group E and work our way through the rest of the group. Sounds good. Yeah. We learn Patrilla with you. This is Road to Russia 2018. This is the Road to Russia 2018 podcast. This is Road to Russia 2018, and I feel like that road is winding down. We're coming to the end, Indy. Petrillo, Mm -hmm. uh, Gareth Wheeler with you. World Cup Russia coming your way in less than two weeks' time. I'm excited about Group E. Are you excited about Group E?
1: This could be. um, It's another great group uh, who doesn't get excited to watch Brazil. They are just entertaining. They have the flair. They're very exciting. They have Neymar. Um, why would? He, and I mean, there's a slew of other names that mm-hmm. we could go through, but I just feel like I'm curious to see how Neymar's going to do in another World Cup where he's not at home and is not dealing with that type of pressure. Because I thought he did very well in front of an immense, crazy amount of pressure in Brazil 2014 or Rio For his
0: 2014. His back was yeah and, yeah, and they basically buried him. Mm -hmm. That, like, people were in mourning, the player was still alive, (laughs) and they showed absolute mental fragility being played off the park. 7-1! Like, that is the only question Mm -hmm. heading into this World Cup. Mm -hmm. How Brazil... It's been a long four years, but 7-1, a loss in their own country, in their own tournament to Germany, that's embarrassing. And that's going to live with them as long... Forever, it's going to live with them forever. That's one of the most astonishing results in world football.
1: So let me ask you this: So Allison, right now he's been appointed their number one goalkeeper. Not that you're going to hang it all on the goalkeeper because very good year for Roma. Yeah, because I think the thing is, and this this was even the question heading into the 2014 World Cup was, do, do they have what it takes defensively? Right, because Brazil, notoriously for years, hasn't exactly been the strongest. On their back line, they've had that flare up front and incredible goal scores. Uh, but how was that going to hold up? And clearly against Germany, not so well. But now you have the goalkeeper coach for the national team, and what else do you expect? Kind of like how you said, well, what else are you can expect from Harry Kane saying, of course they're going to win. And he's the captain of England; he's going to say that. So of course you expect the goalkeeper of the Brazilian national team to say that Allison is like uh, Man- Manuel Neuer, or at least he's mm. entering that territory. What do you make when you hear that? Well,
0: now with the, um, the gaff of, of Karius of Liverpool, I mean, he's being billed as a player that could be available for purchase for $75 million. For a goalkeeper? you got to be kidding me. Listen, he's a very good goalkeeper. He's emerged as one of the top goalkeepers mm-hmm. in world football today. And for me, there's, there's no doubt he'd be my number one. I'm, I'm not sure if he would feel the weight of expectations about that because the Brazilian side, no matter what, the expectations are going to follow them right oh, of course so and let's be fair there's a very good squad in front of them Tite, the manager's known what he wants for quite some time they were the first um nation to name their world cup team he cut it down mm-hmm. i think they named like 16 over the course of the winter so you basically knew the individuals that went one player they lost and I, and i think it's going to be a big loss i look i think they win this group and mm-hmm. i think they win it i'm picking them with, win, with yeah. relative ease but no Danny Alves, mm-hmm. and I just wonder who's going to play right back. And the fullback positions are always so important in these Brazilian sides as they love to push forward. Marcelo do. down the left, who's going to be the player that's going to be relied upon to provide the anchor down the right side? That, I, that's my question. And I
1: want to go back to TT in just a moment because I think, you know, this is where you're pro- – I, I hope this is where we're going to see some – like, mastery when it comes to coaching, right? And and we love the tactics that are mm-hmm. usually employed, and that's a huge part of, of soccer. But, I mean, this is a guy who took a sabbatical from coaching because he wanted to study modern football. Like, how cerebral is yeah. this guy? To the point where he turned down, I believe Japan offered him a job, Brazil had offered him a job at the time, and and then they ended up giving it to Dunga because I think Tite still wanted to study and then, of course, he ends up, you know, coming back. And now here he is, the the head coach of the national team. What does that mean, studying the modern, you know, modern football? How does he apply that? What is what is that going to do for this team and moving forward and tactically? And I'm just really, I know this sounds so strange given the incredible players they have on the pitch, but I just want to see how this manager deploys them. I'm right. really interested in seeing well, that. Well, I,
0: I think as much as it is tactical, it's mental mm-hmm. as well with with, the, with this group of players, um and how you amalgamate some some fresh blood into this team. I I think that I think that a lot of their players have had great years. I think Fernandinho at Manchester City just had a spectacular year. With him anchoring the midfield, all good Brazilian teams, you think about the player, Flair players, you think of the Ronaldos, mm-hmm. the Ronaldinhos, um, the Rubinho. like you think of these players. Yeah. But the best team had that strong spine, that strong central midfielder that puts on the hard hat and does the bulk of the work so the flare pa- players can shine and, mm-hmm. and i just think that fabinho in this team is that player
1: yeah and then of course we you know we kind of touched on it in i think our very first podcast that we know neymar's coming off that foot injury right the the broken foot yep uh but he says he's he's feeling good he was going through physicals as well with the team as he reported to camp so um, it looks like he'll, he'll be good to go. I have Switzerland as second, even though Costa Rica was the Cinderella story in 2014, as we mentioned in that group with Italy, Uruguay, and England. A little
0: bit of a different squad it's this a, time yeah. around.
1: It's a different squad, but I, I have Switzerland moving through as the number two. Okay.
0: I like Serbia. Um, like, okay. They don't do much wrong. They're not flashy, but man, oh, man, they're difficult to break down. So there's some very good serbian players coming through the coming through their system and i thought they did very well to navigate a tricky qualifying group it wasn't a, mm-hmm. it wasn't a walk they were in a group with wales who were coming off a very good european uh, championship campaign ireland and austria it, it was a it, mm-hmm. these aren't a lot of teams that it's not like italy you know being in the same group as spain and there 's an unlucky loser that needs to go through a qualifier. Mm-hmm. These were just a bunch of like evenly matched teams, so I think they had to win and show themselves in very different ways in different matches and Every time and being of Welsh descent, I watched a lot of the Serbia team, and they 're just so just very difficult to break down I, I I rate them and I put them above a Switzerland team, Andy, which has very good players, but I feel like I've been left wanting more. Whether it's at Euro 2016, previous World Cups, I just feel this group of players, um, their names are bigger than the substance that they bring to the team. Well,
1: and 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 yeah, I can I can agree with you on that one. Just given that Shaqiri, what was when he wasn't named captain heading into Euro 2016, then threatened to go play for Kosovo, Right. right? Just because he didn't get the armband and he was, you know, kind of being a little pouty. But I just think, you know, they were in a group with Portugal, had an identical record to Portugal as well in World Cup qualification, just finished second behind them. That was, you know, nine wins, you know, zero draws and one loss. But they, it was the goal differential that got them, which is why they had to go into a playoff. But I don't think that was easy to be in that group with Portugal either. Um, so right. that's why I think Switzerland is strong there. But it's okay. So I have Brazil, Switzerland. You have Brazil, Serbia. Yeah,
0: and Serbia plays Costa Rica the first game. I think that's a good way to start the tournament and put all the pressure on Switzerland to come up with the result coming off what should be a... Mm-hmm. Comprehensive loss to Brazil in their first match.
1: Uh, Group F, I have Germany going through. Um,
0: it's hard not to. Yeah, hard
1: not to have them. Kind uh, of I, I,
0: there. I, I like Sun with South Korea. I think they're a decent side. Sweden, I think that their World Cup was just getting there. Mexico is a team that I think can do some damage in this tournament. I
1: have them moving through. I have a crush through. on
0: Mexico. <laughs> I do. I have no problem saying that. I, I just, every year. Um, and, and in, in terms of World Cup success, they never find it. It's going to happen one of these years, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I like them too. I actually have them. I have them moving through. Um, even though in the previous six World Cups, they haven't passed. They haven't made it past the round of sixteen. They always seem to make it out of the group. But you just wonder. They got if the this... worst
0: draw. They, yeah. I think there's pressure on Mexico. They got the worst draw because they're in a group with Germany. And if they finish second in their group, they're going to play Brazil, most likely. Yeah. That's the worst possible draw. And like, I'm hoping that Mexico can somehow. Find a way to win this group to avoid Brazil and force a Germany-Brazil knockout round match. That's my
1: hope. You're just you're you're looking ahead. <laughs> um group G, I think we discussed this already, was England-Belgium. Yep. Well, yeah. We We're both
0: out, yeah. Uh, I, Panama no chance.
1: Um and then the final group, group H, I think I had I have Poland Colombia going through. This is
0: gonna be my favorite group. Really? I I although I don't really rate Japan, they play very good games to watch as a neutral. But I think it's a three-horse race between Colombia, Poland, and Senegal. Mm-hmm. And somehow, way, I think Poland's going to disappoint again, and it's going to be Colombia, Senegal going on. Whoa! And Senegal is my dark horse in this tournament. Given we'll what Lewandowski week, did? But, wow, okay. Well, it's, it's it's not Robert Lewandowski, who now his agents asked for a move away from Bayern Munich. I think the timing is... I'd never like to hear this thing ahead of a World Cup. I was
1: going to say, no club talk heading into World Cup. None. Done.
0: And with a lot of older players behind him, um, and with the lack of depth, I think that opens the door for two very exciting teams in Colombia and Senegal. i have more questions about Colombia than I do Senegal. We'll save that for next week. We'll we'll, we'll deal with our dark horses. Our official picks coming your way next week, and we'll help you with your fantasy World Cup pools by giving you some maybe under the radar names to look out for. And our final, Mm -hmm. it'll be our final episode.
1: Final episode, baby.
0: Good stuff. She is Andy Petrillo. I am Gareth Wheeler, and this is Road to Russia 2018.